Good evening, everybody. Looks like we got quite the crowd again this week. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, hopefully you're enjoying the the before show banter about <laughs> random stuff that's going on. <laughs> oh, we got Dave working break- tonight, so we'll see how long breaking- that lasts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he seems to disco- have discovered another uh, a way to uh, get Discord to function this time <laughs> for the moment for the so moment. uh yep so with us tonight we got dan uh alex myself josh and dave so good evening uh have just a, a few uh news items to cover real quick one of them's uh kind of a big deal so uh let's see and i think alex can attest to some of this let me get the the uh share going here so uh, Aloft has officially launched uh, Lance authorizations at night for recreational flyers. Um, so recreational drone pilots can now apply for Lance authorizations at night. This feature went live today, uh, and this was the 21st, so yesterday, um, across the Aloft platform, including the mobile apps and on the web. Uh, Aloft has supported Lance at night for commercial Part 107 operators, and we are thankful that the FAA has approved this functionality for recreational pilots. Just as commercial pilots must comply with the regulations, recreational pilots must comply with their rules and regulations for nighttime Lance authorizations, such as completing the trust, or just trust, um, prior to flying and following the safety guidelines of an FAA recognized community-based organizations. And hey, you're here, so hopefully you're a part of and uh, some of those community-based organizations' safety guidelines allow you to fly at night without oh, lights. Is that, does <laughs> ours do that, Dan? <laughs> maybe. Just maybe. So um, this is one of the differences between some of the CBOs um, that uh, we, you know, in our, in our uh, safety guidelines do not uh, require... Um, the uh leds uh, or light uh or running lights collision lights. uh yeah uh anti-collision lights um for uh recreational flying because it's not part of uh, recreational flight regulations um it is however part of part 107 so if you are flying part 107 uh do recommend that you have those because that is part of your regulations via the FAA. So Yeah. So this whole thing was uh, interesting because there's no rule that says you can't fly recreational at night. And then they introduced mm-hmm. the whole Lance thing mm-hmm. in order to get approval to fly in controlled airspace and they would automatically reject you if you said, "Yeah, I want to fly recreational and it's like too close to dark or your time frame extends into when it's dark." It would just like automatically that. say no. And now they've, they've given us that ability back, basically, to be able to get authorization and fly yeah. you know, within the regulations at night. So this is this has definitely been a deal since. Um, I'm sorry, Mike, can you can you speak up a little bit? Bud? Or mute. <laughs> or, or mute. Hang on. Let me see. Can you, can you speak up a little bit, bud? Oh, we're hearing an echo. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, we should put them back on mute. Yeah. Yep. Got it. All right. So, um, 
anyway, so this is a big deal. This has been an issue all the way since Lance was released uh, when they shut us out of uh, controlled airspace for a period of about a month, month and a half. Um, mm-hmm. When they uh, just said, nope, recreational flights can't happen in controlled airspace. Uh, stay tuned. And there was nothing. Um, and then they rolled out Lance that regave us uh, the ability to fly there. But for the last several years, you have not been able to fly at night in controlled airspace. Um, so uh, this is a good deal. Um, so props to Aloft and, and John Hagrains for getting this functionality out there. Um, he's long been a supporter of the recreational community. Uh, we appreciate the work he's done with Aloft. Um, we're not partnered with him, but uh, definitely appreciate uh, the the support. So we we work with we work with John, and he helps us out. And also, if you need uh, Lance approval, and the Aloft app is there for recreational for free. So, mm-hmm. and as uh, Josh said, you know, Aloft and John have been uh, big advocates of recreational. We appreciate it. Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, next, uh, our friends over at Lumineer. Uh, the uh, sister company, I guess, to, to get FPV, um, have unveiled their Aurora light show drone. Um, these are a uh, new system that they have developed uh, in partnership with uh, SPH Engineering. Uh, they're the ones that created the drone light show software that many, many, many companies use. Um, but these were designed and manufactured uh, here in the United States um, at uh, Lumineer facilities in Sarasota. Uh, pretty cool design. They are stackable, so they make storage easy. Um, and uh, they've got true, uh, the, the big thing that they're, they're touting is 12 super bright LEDs that are six times brighter than what comp, uh, the competitors offer. Um, so, uh, They also have um, a 25-minute real-time flight time. Um, So they've been tested at 25 minutes. Um, They can be, I think it's, uh, they can be remotely powered on, um, if I'm not mistaken. I think I saw that. Um, So you don't have to run around and connect a bunch of batteries uh, um, to, to, for the whole fleet to be able to be active. and uh, uh, 900 grams, um, and they're true white LEDs as well as vibrant RGB LEDs to provide a more extensive range of colors in the sky. Um, so pretty cool. Uh, they did have a little video here. I don't know if it's to play. I'm pretty sure Lumineer won't mind. (laughs) Oh, and there you go. So they can do a drone light show in the next hurricane or something. That'd be fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> so is anyone wondering about remote ID? 
<laughs> what do you think, Alex? Waivers? I just think that they're ignoring it. Probably. <laughs> well, with this, with this device, certain, certainly uh, uh, get FPV uh, and Luminar are interested in uh, remote ID. It would have to... Assuming this has been manufactured since September, it would have to have standard remote ID and uh, broadcast the location of the operator or operators. I don't know how that works in this case. Well, yeah, well it's one right? operator, multiple drones. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, technically, so it could just be it. some computer halfway across the country running the whole show, and that's the operator. Yeah, across the country, that of course, you know, that'd be one BB loss waiver, <laughs> but then the one, the one on Mini, that's another waiver. So, you know, I love it. I love the technology. I love the Lumineer guys. It's great that they're doing this in the U.S. and it's a, it's a good team, good, good group of technology guys, and good set of products. Yeah, hundred percent. So, props to them. Hopefully, they see success with uh, sales on this, and uh, I mean. That's a, a boon all the way around. So, all right. Now and they got to make like a oh. a really tiny, um, tiny version, like personal version, where you have your own dozen drones you can just throw up in your backyard for a little light show. That's, That's an cool. interesting point. If you could do sub two fifty, mm-hmm. hmm, doesn't have to be registered. Alex, very interesting. There's your there's your, there's your thesis, work. right? Do a tiny whoop drone light show. There you go. I know, I'd just use a Tello at that point. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's already been done. Well, don't do something that's been done. Tiny whoops, bro. Tiny. <laughs> well, that's easier to do something that's been done. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Combine your drones like Voltron midair to make one full five inch. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that what the one linchpin design thing was for? That's Funny. What's the linchpin? I haven't heard of oh, that. The was... Terrence Howard one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Where's my swarm of Agris drones? There you go. Ooh, that'd be, ooh, that'd be expensive. expensive and loud and scary. I don't care about the noise. <laughs> Those things are big. I'd just put some tori- tor- toroidal propellers on them. <laughs> All right, so um, last but not least, we've got the Increasing Competitive for American Drones Act of 2023. Um, so Senators uh, Mark Warner from Virginia and John Thune um, introduced the Increasing Competitiveness for American Drones Act of 2023, a comprehensive legislation to streamline the approvals process for beyond visual line of sight drone flights and clear the way for drones to be used for commercial transport of goods across the country making sure that the U.S. remains competitive globally in a growing industry increasingly dominated by competitors like China. Um, currently, each aircraft and each B, uh, BV loss operation that takes flight requires unmanned uh, UIS operators to seek waivers from the FAA, but the FAA has not laid out any consistent set of criteria for granting the waivers, making the process of approving drone flights slow and unpredictable. Amen. 100%. Um, the bipartisan increasing competitive for American Drones Act will require the FAA to issue a new rule allowing BV loss operations under certain circumstances. Um, drones have the ability to transform so much of the way we do business beyond package delivery. Drones can change the way we grow crops, manage disasters, maintain our infrastructure, and administer medicine. 
If we want the drones of tomorrow to be manufactured in the US and not China, we have to start working today to integrate them into our airspace. Revamping the process for approving commercial drone flight will catapult the United States into the 21st century, allowing us to finally start competing at a global level as technology advancements make drone usage, usage ever more common. This is a common theme that's happening right now, uh, especially since the BV loss um, advanced rulemaking committee uh, met and uh, gave their suggestions of which uh, we were a part of, uh, Dave and, and Dan were. But uh, we've I've seen uh, not only from here, but the uh, Commercial Drone Alliance um, has released a, a statement as well, uh, trying to accelerate um, the a couple of things in terms of granting beyond visual line of sight waivers, accelerate the process for gaining approvals, um, and, and generally just uh, really putting the FAA to task on on being on accelerating the ability for drones to operate in the U.S. national airspace. Um, right now, we are lagging uh, in the United States comparatively to other countries. Um, and <clears throat> when you, we've got uh, uh, blacklisting um, certain manufacturers uh, from overseas and, and limiting what can be used um, here at home, uh, we've got to accelerate the capabilities to not only conduct operations, but enhance um, R&D and, and uh, that kind of thing. And this is something we've advocated for, not on the commercial side, but more so um, with the FAA in terms of uh, fast-tracking the approval process for certain things, including Prius um, and, and uh, whatnot. So uh, there's, there's definitely a bureaucracy bottleneck when it comes to things like this. And a lot of people are putting them to task for that. So, Dave, I thoughts could, on if this? If I could help, yeah, if I could help amplify that, I was going to mention the uh, Commercial Drone Alliance, and uh, this is a uh, an extremely well funded organization. We regularly don't uh, like or agree with what they say. Frequently, we do. This is uh, they are uh, intelligent and uh, and they have access and they are well funded with lobbyists uh, uh, on the hill. And their uh, managing director uh, presented to the Senate on the 2023 uh, Reauthorization Act. And normally, the um, uh, as we've come to learn, anytime someone like uh, like this gets to uh, present, uh, they are normally obsequious. And so they, oh, thank you for being here. The AFAA has been wonderful. Everything's great. We're so grateful for this. We're grateful for that. Well. They pulled no punches in this in in their presentation to uh, to the Senate. It was effectively, you know, numerous uh, agencies have come out saying that the FAA is not moving quickly enough. Um, the uh, and the, the Commercial Drone Alliance was um, a member, and uh, Lisa, the woman speaking, the uh, managing director, was uh, a, a chair of one of the subgroups. That's it. Lisa Elman, um, <clears throat> brilliant woman has been in uh, in politics and uh, knows her stuff um, uh, and a, a capable um, mover and shaker uh, for uh, commercial drones. So wherever we can uh, leverage what CDA is drawing, uh, doing, uh, we, we will. And uh, we've been in touch with uh, Lisa on other topics. Uh, and they, like I say, we don't always agree, uh, but uh, they are a, a force to be reckoned with. 
And uh, as uh, you can see in the text, uh, the it's a pretty scathing uh, report card, as was the GAO uh, report card on the FAA's effectiveness of integration of uh, drones in the in the NAS. And so, we of course have a new shiny toy with uh, AAM or Advanced Air Mobility, uh, air taxis and such. Um, and CDA is using that as is a UVSI. Uh, to uh, make out, make the point that we're falling behind again uh, in the technology race, uh, and we're being held up by uh, by regulations. The uh, legislation that uh, that Josh showed is um, uh, it, it's a equally scathing in that the legislation requires for an NPRM to be published within six months, and so if you think of the timing. Uh, we wrapped up the Beyond Visual Line of Sight Aviation Rulemaking Committee in March of 2022. And now about a year later, um, uh, the FAA has, is asking the a, an a, uh, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee group to come back and tell them how, how can industry help accelerate the process of getting uh, the Beyond Visual Line of Sight rules out the door. So it took him a year to ask a question. So uh, I think this is, uh, as as Josh, you said, this is a trend, and uh, there are a number of folks uh, uh, going after this. And so this will help us. This is, you know, to me, uh, Lisa Elman's testimony is a template of uh, uh, how we'll probably recraft now uh, Rev 4 or 5 for our own uh, 2023 Reauthorization Act. There are any number of points in it that we can build on for recreation. Mm -hmm. You so, didn't think the yeah. chat GPT version of our request was perfect the way it was? <laughs> <laughs> there were some good points in there. <laughs> so of note yeah. in the in the bill, um, so operators of small and keep in mind this is uh, this is uh, commercial part one hundred seven and, and beyond kind of commercial stuff, but. Operators of small UAS uh, under 55 pounds simply have to declare that they conducted a risk assessment and meet the standard subject to audit compliance by the FAA. Operators of UAS between 55 and 1,320 pounds uh, must submit materials based on a risk assessment to the FAA to seek a special airworthiness certificate. UAS in this category may be limited to operating no more than 400 feet above ground level. Finally, operators of UAS over 1,320 pounds must undergo full type certification process, the standard approval process for crewed aircraft. Right. So this is a little different than the um, type certification, I think, that is kind of in there right now. Um, so this would have a possibility of shifting that. But um, yeah, I'm, it, I'm, it, it, I'm reasonably comfortable that uh, there will be a segment uh, of what they what we called in the BV loss arc uh, part 108, and so for very large and for very far away beyond visual line of sight, yeah, it's gonna have to be it's you know it's, it's gonna have to be a full type cert aircraft. I'm great with that. I mean, these things are heavy and they go fast and they're flying far away. Mm -hmm. uh, but for uh, small UAS, you know, half half a pound to uh, 55 pounds, you know, that. Uh, Hopefully we can get uh, some uh, leniency there. Yeah, so definitely cool um, to see. Definitely something that we're going to leverage on the recreational side. Um, 
Lisa Elman, even in her statement to Congress, uh, and it's buried in here somewhere, but uh, I posted that as well. Um, she is a supporter of Shielded Operations, um, which is a good deal, something that we've uh, pushed for as well. Um, but uh, we want to see that on the recreational side, um, you know, to uh, basically, you know, be able to just fly without all the fuss, right? So yeah, yeah, and we can we can take uh, credit for the uh, shielded operations as well as the FPV being used for um, improved situational awareness in the BV loss arc documents. Yep. So, uh, oh, here it is. Enable shielded operations right here. Um, about a third of the way through the article. So, um, but. Uh, she even says shielded operations provide high levels of value, enabling more efficient inspection of critical infrastructure like long, line, long linear infrastructure and power plants in addition to public safety missions such as search and rescue with low levels of risk, given the low altitude and close proximity to structures in the ground. So this would pave the way for, you know, search and rescue operations to be conducted without, you know, any kind of lengthy process to get approval, right? So... Uh, which can often be the the um, the time can be the factor in actually conducting a successful search and rescue mission. Right. So yeah, um, we we do we do know that uh, Helicopter Association International (AOPA) and ALPA Airline Pilots Association are all violently opposed to shielded operations, and they yeah, made their cool. opinions well known on the Hill. So just. Wow. That's a pretty powerful group, so or yes. set of set of organizations. So just, you know, just another hill to climb, if you'll forgive the pun. <laughs> hill to fly over. How about that? Um, so uh, yeah, uh, definitely something that we'd like to see uh, is an ex ex expediting the process of approvals. Uh, right now, it's uh, a, almost like a minimum ninety days, right and We'd like to see that definitely get accelerated to, uh, you know, a week, a couple days, you know, so that people can conduct operations uh, quickly. And if we need to set up a FRIA quickly, we can do that. If we need to uh, get approval for, for something quickly, you know, instead of having to, to plan everything out, because you don't know. And sometimes, you know, for, for these commercial operators, I mean, even small business, um, commercial operators, they don't know what's happening 90 days out with their business. So being able to accept a job in a short time frame and gain those approvals would be definitely a boon. So we need to catch up to the rest of the world on, on stuff like this. We've been relying uh, outside for far too long and our regulations are have, have been proven to be a hamper. So um, yeah, anywho. Uh, that's what I've got for for news this week. I, I'm trying to cut it down to the the very important stuff and uh, somewhat cool stuff. So, uh, Dave, what do you got? I had a couple things. Uh, one, just an update from where we were uh, on the FRIA situation with the FAA. Uh, we spoke to the FAA on the first. Uh, they had a number of action items that they were taking away. Uh, I followed up uh, two weeks later, uh, still nothing, no response. Uh, I feel like uh, I've been ghosted. Um, if I wasn't more confident, I'd be offended. Uh, <laughs> so we have, uh, uh, later this week, I need to follow up again with the FAA. This is, uh, we des desperately need to keep this communication going. 
we need to figure out a number of uh, topics that uh, we feel uh, that the process is broken. Um, so let's see, anything else on Freya? I don't think so. Um, a request for uh, for help. Um, we will be going to uh, Flight Fest on June 22 through 25. It's in Malvern, Ohio. Uh, if you can be there as a volunteer to help fix quads, we would love uh, love to have you. Josh and I were there last year, and we spent a good time of a good percentage of the three and a half days uh, working, meeting people, working on their quads, and it was it was great. And so if you can volunteer, this is, you know, we're not asking that you spend the entire time uh, huddled over a hot soldering iron. Uh, but if you can spend some time, if you can get there, there's signups uh, on the Flight Fest uh, websites. Uh, and it's June 22 through 25. And that, that gets you uh, uh, access in uh, if you're a volunteer. And it's a, it's a great time and a great event. So we're out to ask. I, I, we could we could definitely use some help uh, fixing on uh, fixing uh, quads and, and such. Lots of beta flight knowledge, uh, and we were very well received uh, by the entire community there, which is ninety ninety five percent fixed wing. They were they thought it was great, and uh, we didn't get in anyone's way, and we had a great time. Uh, FCC NPRM, so the uh, Federal Communications Commission notice for public rulemaking on um, allocation of spectrum. Uh, we're going. We're finalizing our comments. I don't think this is uh, this raises uh, uh, rises to the level of being panicked. Uh, there are a number of things that we do not like about it. Uh, we will share those uh, out. It's a March nine deadline for comments. We'll work to get uh, our comments out in time for. Uh, people who want to make a, uh, additional comments and, and take a look at what we have. Um, uh, the FAA Reauthorization Act, we are uh, continuing to work on that. Uh, we will, as we mentioned, uh, make sure that uh, our FBBFC and the FTCA communities uh, uh, get access to that before it, uh, uh, before it goes up or right or moment, momentarily after, right after it goes on up to... Uh, uh, to Congress and probably the House first, and then uh, the Senate. Probably what we'll do. And, and uh, tasking group fourteen and fifteen, the there was supposed to be an advanced aviation advisory committee meeting in March on a, on or about the third Thursday. Uh, it got moved out, and so uh, we don't know, we don't know if there's going to be one in the uh, in the spring. So uh, uh, tasking group uh, fourteen is uh, wrapping up. Uh, we're done with our piece of work on that. It has to do with um, extended visual line of sight as something that we feel should, should and could be uh, uh, an extended uh, capability for 107. And we've uh, created a how-to to get uh, waivers for part 107, extended visual line of sight. Um, tasking group 15, uh, which is a hand, handbook on uh, if you're a drone operator and you want to create an operation in a community, uh, how do you get out to the general public? How do you get out to um, uh, stakeholders that uh, have a uh, might might have a, a problem with you uh, taking in taking on a drone operation in an area, uh, be it uh, inspecting in a in a on a building site or if it's uh, ag spraying or whatever? And so, a good piece of work and. Uh, uh, wrapping up the editing on, on that. 
And so pretty busy, but uh, I think that's about it. So if you can volunteer, 22 through 25 June in lovely Malvern, Ohio. It's near Akron. Mm-hmm. All right, so X-Wing's got a question. Uh, rulemaking advocate question. State and local rulemakers may start to legislate where drones can take off or land. Is there a list of new regulation bills or public hearings that the whole hobby can view? This way, way we know how to help influence regulation. So to answer that question, X-Wing, um, no, there's not. Uh, what I would recommend is stay plugged into your what's happening in your local uh, local area. Um, there's uh, I know uh, New Jersey right now along the Jersey Shore is uh, regulating uh, where people can take off and land during certain times of the year, uh, mostly with uh, the busy season down on the shore. Um, I saw that while I was researching news this week. Um, so if it's something that you would like to advocate against, then definitely get involved uh, in your local area. The problem is, is that there's so many different states, cities, uh, counties, um, you know, small municipalities that, that want to make rules like that. And a lot of times they don't jive with what the FAA says. And so while they can essentially regulate where you can take off and land, um, sometimes it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work. So it's something that, uh, you can work on locally, uh, would have the best influence, uh, really. Um, I know that, uh, you know, yeah, Ryan, uh, LaTourette, um, has done some work there. I know Vic Moss has done work in, in certain areas, um, with helping with that kind of stuff. So, uh, to answer your question, it, it it's, yeah, it's just a, there's so many different, you know, things that that different governments try to do, and this is one of the reasons, you know, as much as the FAA can uh, inhibit, drag their feet, uh, take forever for approvals. Uh, in general, we're advocates for one organization being over all of this, whereas there are certain uh, people who would like to see that uh, left to cities, states, counties, I mean, even down to HOAs, uh, being able to regulate what drones can do. And it just creates a patchwork of laws that make it impossible to to enjoy the recreation or even to do business if you want to be a Part 107 operator. And to add to that, um, for some states have rules where they the state itself can only make regulations on drones and otherwise it's FAA rules. So if you're in one of those states, that adds benefits in case your city tries to make uh, make a rule going against that. And those are usually pretty easy to find. Pilot Institute has a pretty good uh, database of local laws and regulations per state. Uh, they have a wiki out there. I don't remember what the link is off the top of my head, but they have one out there as well as to try to stay on top of some of the, of something that might get popped up into your local regulations and stuff. A lot of the, a lot of places will have a system similar to the federal register where they'll publish those and you can set keywords to notify you if any of the bills have those or have certain features in there. So you could set drone as a keyword. And anytime there's a bill in there that has the word drone in it, it will forward that to you 
and you're able to look at those um, and get a quick glimpse of what that's about and if it's relevant or not. And that's usually a pretty easy way to stay on track of what's getting published or not in your area on the topic. Yeah. So and, uh, go, oh, ahead, go ahead, Josh. So one of the things that um, I have, I, I dropped in there um, is uh, drone laws by state. The problem is, is that this covers state, but there's, there's just so much going on at a local level too. So I happen to live in one of the states where the state of Arizona um, has uh, decided that they are going to be the ones that regulate uh, drone use and that no uh, uh, counties, cities, states, or anything can make any um, drone laws that are more restrictive than what the state sets. And the state has basically said, you know, we're going to follow what the FAA does. Um, as well as, and I've mentioned this before, um, mandating that every city um, have a place where you can fly um, uh, model airplanes or drones or whatever. So there's there's there has to be a place set aside for people to be able to enjoy the hobby, which is cool. Um, and I know uh, Michigan uh, is one of the other states that uh, has similar. Um, Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania also has them. Um... Yeah. I think there's a, at least 11 states that have it. Let's I don't see. Them off the top of my head. Let's see. One T says, unfortunately, that is one of our Utah senators trying to get the FAA control transfer to local government. Yeah, that's Mike Lee. Yeah, it's Mike, uh, yeah, Mike yeah. Lee. You've got it. So um, got to yeah, watch him closely yeah, four, when he tries to hide that. Yeah. Four times uh, he's tried to, we're aware of that he's uh, brought that bill uh, forward in different sessions. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a place for federalism and there's a place where it's kind of silly. And so, right. Right. Let's see. Um, yeah. So uh, I hope that answers some of the questions. Uh, I know MH74 has asked, um, uh, you know, what we're currently working on. I think Dave went through a number of those. I, I don't know that he's in here, but I did want to answer that. So the big things we're working on right now are uh, Frias. Uh, the um, Reauth FAA Reauthorization Act of 2023, which is required to be back in place or is required to be in place by September. Um, and the, so NPR, we're, we're working, the NPRM, the, the, the uh, FCC, NPRM. yeah, the FCC NPRM, um, which is uh, um, not as horrible as we thought it was, but uh, definitely some stuff that uh, needs to be addressed. Um, and and then oh. the the work that we do on activities in uh, like uh, drone safety team, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, I led an ad hoc uh, committee on. Uh, let's see if I can do it in uh, uh, UAS uh, ASRS. Uh, mm -hmm. Someone help me with spelling that one out. Um, Aviation safety reporting system. And so uh, that's now public. So that's great. So the reason I mention it is things like the ACT, the um, Advanced Aviation A uh, Advisory Committee, the tasking groups, as well as the drone safety team work is not something we can share until it's made public uh, in, a, in a public report. So you know, we're uh, the community's voice in these uh, meetings, and we are uh, usually a very active participant taking a role of uh, of leading teams, leading sub-teams, uh, helping write the final document, 
as well as helping uh, create the slides for the document. And in the drone safety team, I led that uh, that tasking group. So uh, those, um, you know, we try to comment about them about in terms of what's going on, and we welcome any comments. But we're not; uh, those are not documents that we can share uh, until they're made public. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. But those are those are I just would... a couple. I would love it to be like the act tasking group comes to us and, you know, we're working with them and we've got like, oh, we would love to poll our community and say, hey, we're working on this question for the act and for the tasking group. What do you guys think? Give us feedback. How can we tell the FAA what we think? But we can't make that public. We, yeah. we can't ask people. And so we just have to do yeah. our best to us to represent right. everyone. Right. And, and we we have done polls, but we can't, you know, so it's like, well, where, what's the context In of this? Why are you asking? And yeah, it's like, exactly. mm, you know, can't really get into it. And so, uh, but, but the good news is anything that we've written uh, on a, on the dozen uh, tasking groups that we've worked on, on the drone advisory committee or advanced aviation uh, advisory committee uh, are all public documents. Uh, so you search a, a, you know, AAAC or DAC and all of the eBooks are there. Yeah, so Can someone FOIA them. You you could um, by the time you would get a response, like the tasking group's all out. gone. It's old. And yeah. the and the uh, drone safety team is not a federal agency. It is a public private organization, and so they are not. Uh, that is not FOIAable documents, which I learned is a word. FOIAable. <laughs> FOIAable. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's the hard part, guys. Is is that a lot of the stuff we participate in, the information's embargoed and and uh, confidential. So, um, by basically, if we want to retain our ability to participate, we can't spill the beans essentially until until everything comes out. Now, when it comes to stuff like the FAA Reauthorization Act, um, completely transparent on that on on what we're working on, and um, we're setting up. Uh, the, the uh, capability for you to uh, email your senators uh, and uh, get the language put together to get that uh, uh, capability out to you guys to contact and so we can all send the same message. Um, so I want to clarify, when it comes to things like NPRMs, uh, Notice of Proposed Rulemakings that come out from the FAA, that's where you want individual comments. So usually if something like that comes up, we will create a, a document with all our thoughts and our our um, our case studies or, or whatnot for why this is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and we'll put that out there, but it serves the FAA better if uh, you give your individual comments on something like that. Now you can attach our document as referencing this um, and these are your comments, which is uh, what we did a lot of when it came to the NPRM for remote ID. Um, but uh, individual comments are best. Now, when it comes to legislation, something like the FAA Reauthorization Act, um, that can be a cut and paste Copy form and paste. letter, um, something you call, you can call your senator's office and have a conversation with them about referencing that document. Um, send a postcard with your thoughts on it, um, whatever the case may be. Now, those can be individual comments or you can use ours. Um, they, uh, that doesn't matter. It, it can be whatever. Um, so we will uh, get, get our thoughts down on paper. We'll send that out to everybody. 
and uh, we'll we'll uh, give you uh, kind of some guidelines on how to go about sending that that information out. So yeah. Crit critical difference, great point to bring out. One of the questions up here was who's in the uh, drone safety team. Thanks to Dan, as uh, Alex uh, correctly said, a bunch of non-drone organizations. Um, and Dan uh, put up the the website, and of course, the uh, I I, I tongue in cheek say the first rule of drone safety team is you can't talk about drone safety team. Every document that's created in the drone safety team is marked proprietary and confidential to the drone safety team. I have complained about this. I will continue to complain about this. Coming from a very large bureaucratic organization, it is a waste of time and money to overclassify documents, and that's what the drone safety team is doing. I was, in fact, delighted that they made the uh, UAS ASRS report immediately public. This is very unusual for the drone safety team, and it's great to have that level of transparency. So that's why we can share it, uh, and we can post a link to it. Um, so there are about 80 companies, and it is absolutely a who's who in crewed or manned aviation corporations, airframe, uh, software, uh, AMP, you, know, you name it, they're there. Associations, um, there are, uh, DJI is not on the uh, one of the members anymore. Uh, there are a number of drone companies, as well as uh, software firms interested in uh, things like unmanned traffic management, Airbus, uh, formerly AT&T. Um, so lot, very, mostly very large uh, corporations. Um, and uh, the FAA looks to the uh, drone safety team to go work on difficult problems. Uh, the co-chairs, um, oh, the co-chair on the FAA side is Abby Smith, the deputy uh, administrator to the UAS Integration Office. So she works directly for Jeffrey Vincent, who just replaced Jay Merkel. Yeah. More, so, more than anyone ever wanted to know about the drone safety team, but knowing the, the ins and outs of a bureaucracy is key to getting stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, one of the, the, the great points of, of having participated on, um, you know, the ACK and the Drone Advisory Committee, you know, what it was before it was called the ACK and, and whatnot is we've made a lot of friends uh, and friends in high places and, and uh, you know, uh, people who support uh, recreational as well as commercial. Um, it's, uh, you know, I want to I kind of go on record is when we first started this a long time, the, the um, oh, hold on, let me get back to it. Or the date of incorporation? No, I was I was gonna talk about uh, the um, commercial drone alliance. Uh, they were the big bad enemy, right? And yes. um, I think uh, <clears throat> you know they they've kind of turned a corner. I think uh, um, you know while while they are uh, mostly about uh, commercial drone use, obviously, um, you know it's. Uh, we also we got, a, we got a chance to talk to them and we pushed yeah. the stem angle and we should, said look you know there are 1.7 million recreational <laughs> operators and this is going to be the future workforce for you and and as i said this the uh, these are smart folks and they they got it in a heartbeat so 
they they uh, supported us in uh, in a couple of key areas, and yes. uh, we're 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 very grateful. Yeah, uh, so... Grant, and Grandpa FPV asked about a drone safety team. He assumes that a number of defend all the major defense contractors. Yes, if they have anything to do with aviation uh, and they're in defense, yes, they're on the drone safety team. Yeah. So, um, but uh, definitely appreciative of of the support we get from just about everywhere, and um, it's it's been a great thing. So, uh, you know, we we've got some key points that we're making for the. Um, FAA Reauthorization Act, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully it it turns out well for us. We we do know kind of what they're what they're up against or what they're for, what they're against, and and we're kind of trying to figure out a, a in between for us. So yeah, uh, Alex, you got anything for us tonight, sir? So the next week you'll be seeing, if not today, I think. There's some stuff released, and you'll see more of it throughout the next week or so. But the global qualifier for this year's multi-GP season, the track selection contest is going to be opening up soon. Uh, we have several different track designers who are selected to create a track to compete in this. And we'll have about two week a two-week window where pilots, can test the tracks on Velocidrone. Uh, I guess they could try to set it up in real life too. And and then in those two weeks, vote on which track you'd like as the global qualifier for this season. Uh, so that the track that's selected will be flown by hundreds of pilots across the globe and get lots of batteries destroyed on it and quad parts. <laughs> so choose Alex, wisely. Are those uh, globe, uh, the, the tracks that are selected, are they specific to 5-inch in a particular class or spec? Open class. Open so, class. Okay. Um, maximum of 6-inch, 1280 grams, or I think is the number. Mm -hmm. And then uh, no cell limit. Uh, you can run whatever cell count you want uh, as long <laughs> as your stuff doesn't not an explode. Honor. Not an AMA field. As long as you're not following uh, the AMA safety guidelines. <laughs> uh, voting. Yeah, I believe you'll have to have a multi-GP account to vote, but I'm not 100% sure. It, it won't be difficult to vote other than I think the only thing you'll need is the multi-GP account. Yeah. But uh, similar yeah. process to last year of how the voting was done. Basically, to get a multi-GP account, you need to fog glass, right? I mean, it's it's there's no no charge, and you need an email mm -hmm. ID. That's yep. funny. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, on the racing uh, standpoint, uh, if you're anywhere near uh, Dayton, Ohio, there is uh, a uh, I, they're calling it a micro drone. I'm assuming it's going to be a tiny whoop drone race uh, mm -hmm. through the National Museum of the United oh, States. Oh yes, Air that's Force. tiny whoop. Yeah, the Air Force uh, race is a pretty big whoop race coming up. Yep, so that'll be uh, this Friday and Saturday, I believe. Uh, yep, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, so if you're nearby and you want to see a bunch of cool uh, airplanes and, and I'm sure other types of aircraft as well as uh, and fly free, though. race. That's the right, yeah, right pad. Check it out. And so. the, yeah, Air Force Museum and Wright Pat is right there, right, Alex? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's on it's my in the Air Museum. 
it's in there, yeah. in the Air Force Museum, flying through the planes. Oh, this yep. this this is something. Maybe next year I can go. <laughs> yeah, the the spots fill up quickly in that race, so you're oh, not to race. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, what's the point of going? Expecting. Old guy category. Old guy category. <laughs> so. Yeah, I see there's a, a grandpa FPV there. I think uh, yeah, my moniker should be Opa FPV. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So, Dan, you got anything to wrap us up for this evening? Um, not really. I was wondering if we have, have we done enough research and are we at a point where we're ready to talk about the history of the 250 gram regulations around the world? Or should we Ooh. save that for another meeting? Well, I mean, well, you're probably well. better at it than I am. Um, See, I, Blunty's just, done a I've lot of the written. research for us. Yeah, he's uh, he's off mic. No, he's he's um, here. You want to talk about that a little bit, Blunty? Uh, yeah, I can. Um, basically, Maybe a preview. <laughs> yeah, basically, the goal was. Uh, you know, we've heard before in the past, and I think we've said before in the past, that our 250 gram limit comes from a forced calculation based on um, based on a NASA study from the 60s. Mm-hmm. But diving deeper into it, it turns out that it's actually uh, it's from 1896. Um, in 1896, there was a, a paper written about how to fight wars, like how to fight battles. I think it was a French paper. And they said, uh, essentially, that that 80 joule number is the amount, which is the the number they're using to justify 250 grams. Um, And 80 joules is used in a lot of other explosive calculations and things because of this single thing in 1896 that they've carried on forever. And essentially, it was a guess. It has no backup data. There's no information to back it up. And it was colloquially known, colloquially, known by the uh, by like the local generals and it was just passed through this document from them so nobody knows where the calculation came from why we have it like where it comes from and if you look through history essentially there's just document after document after document after document summarizing why it doesn't make any sense to use this number but stating we don't have any better data and we don't have any justification to change this number currently so basically, someone said, if you make a bullet or a cannonball that's about this weight, it'll probably kill somebody. And they've just used that for Ooh. forever. So, I mean, here's the here's here's the rub on this, right? Is that, uh, you know, a lot of these these mass calculations were were done out of, I mean, in terms of a bullet, right? Or a, a mortar shell or shrapnel or, you know, anything like that, that that was meant to kill. And generally, these things are made of lead, metal, you know, different things that are hard and um, not pliable. And not meant to fly. You know, of, what's that? I mean, <laughs> not meant not to fly. Meant to fly. Well, meant to go I mean, fast. Meant to move through the air. But <laughs> but here's the thing, right? Is that you know we've come so far in terms of materials technology, in terms of uh, carbon fiber, plastics. Uh, foams, uh, all the things that we use to uh, craft our our model airplanes, our drones, uh, that it's really a material sciences study that needs to be done to to really invoke any kind of hard regulation uh, in terms of a a weight limit. So um, it's just an interesting thing that, that 
this this old knowledge passed down from you know over a hundred years ago has become the basis in which we are you know regulated into our our drones right so yeah another you know if you go through all these history of these summaries you know people have done this many times have gone through and explained why you know this doesn't make any sense for many different applications uh you know but one thing they talk about a lot is you know it's sort of an arbitrary decision of lethality so you know at some point you have to make a decision about how much what percent of lethality based in even this situation they're describing is okay you know and in one of the documents i was able to find a military document from like 70 something describing explosions you know they were they were saying that you know that 80 joule number essentially would be like a one percent lethality rate you know so then the question is like do you you know where do you set do you set one percent fifty percent ninety nine percent like what's the actual number you should even set for lethality if that's how you're handling it like there's just so many pieces to why it doesn't yeah. make sense right you know and, you can and, keep pulling it apart like it, and it, the it whole silly. the whole thing is it's kinetic energy and so that's one half mv squared and so one half times mass times the velocity squared and that's ridiculous uh, in this day and age to be talking about this as josh was saying you know, we're not thinking about the density. We're not thinking about the frangibility of uh, of the uh, uh, aircraft. And uh, we just so happen to have worked on TG-11, uh, where we were blessed to, and I mean that seriously, to work with a fellow, Tony Nanini from Google Wing. Very, very bright guy. And so there's a great paper on target level of safety on this. So this is what we're recommending that the FAA uh, use instead of a lethality uh, metric uh, for drones. And let's see, that was only two years ago. And so mm-hmm. they're fixing to get us an answer. Not yet. <laughs> uh, uh Bruce, thank you so much for the link. I have not, uh, I did not see this video. Thank, uh, I will definitely watch this and uh, uh, add in anything we can. So, if, uh, so yeah, if, I mean, if 250 grammed drones have killed zero people, so that's 250 times zero, then we should be able to go to 500 gram drones. And that would also be times zero would equal zero deaths, right? So that's... we can keep making them bigger and bigger, and that should still not kill anybody. That's right. I mean, yeah, that's, I, why, I, I... that's why calculation and, and the FAA put forward a lethality uh, metric and they just moved the the decimal. Well, drones should be safer, so we're going to multiply uh, the setting by uh, two orders of magnitude. I mean, it was it was a really, and so uh, we hope that uh, the document that we wrote refuted you know any uh, effort that that should go anywhere. Just in case testimony is needed, I have been struck by a five inch uh, uh, drone um, in the back and didn't even leave a bruise. So. Um, <laughs> And it was right. going pretty that fast. would be funny to be in a meeting. It's like we called Josh to the stand and <laughs> right. he's still yeah. alive. Therefore, it proves that. Yeah. To, to turn uh, XJet's uh, question ar- around the uh, part of what what the expression is, is would you like to catch a basketball or or catch a bullet out of a rifle? And they both have the same number of joules or kinetic energy in them. So. Uh, and that's where that's where the uh, the density uh, as well as the frangibility of a uh, of an aircraft uh, comes into play. 
I mean, and even from a material sciences standpoint, I mean, carbon fiber flexes and, and, and whatnot upon an impact. Uh, it has give to it. It can shatter, which is why, you know, we replace so many arms sometimes, especially Alex. Yep. Have my um, bin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right over. Oh, yeah, right here, yep. actually. There you go. Full of broken All carbon the broken fiber. parts. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know. Um, plastics are the same thing, you know, it, it, it's just funny. So, and the other, the other thing I'm just going to put out into the ether and, and nobody's going to see this, but if you know, a journalist that writes drone articles, please stop using the same old crappy drone images. We've come so far. Like people are still using phantom images. People are still like using default. like oh, what's a phantom? Mark one Mavic images. People are using those cheap Amazon drone images. Just like let, let's move on with the times, right? If you're doing an FPV drone race article, use a picture of an FPV. My racing drone. Racing drone. Alex will provide them. That's right. We'll provide the <laughs> and copy, one piece we'll provide or copy, the copyrighted uh, photograph. So, XJet, yes, I sure were the ones that flew the Phantom into an air. It wasn't, uh, I don't think it was a window. I think it was an airliner it was wing. The wing. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was, was a sure. I think that was outside of a sure. Yeah. Well, a sure published talking about study, another window. So. Yeah, we got to be careful when we talk yeah. about a sure because a sure is uh, it's now beyond, right? And so this is a, yeah. the, it's a grant program to universities. That's what a sure is. Mm hmm. And it's money funded by the FAA for research done in universities. Mm, yeah, so old, old, old information. And I think uh, I, I'm not sure, but I thought there were some articles kind of debunking some of the, the wing uh, study there. So um, but anywho, yeah, so uh, definitely uh, some some changes needed. And if we can up that limit to 500 grams a kilogram, kilogram. you know um, you know that that's the hope and something we're we're definitely pushing for right now so stay tuned um i think that's it for this evening finishing up a, a minute past so thank you everybody for joining us we'll see you in two weeks appreciate the uh the comments the questions um keep those coming Thanks, everybody. Great. Have a good night. Great questions. Thank yeah. you.